My name is Curtis Merriweather Jr. You are listening to the Business Profit Podcast. Are you an aspiring, new, or seasoned business professional? Then you're in the right place. This podcast is unlike other podcasts because we seek to create a synergistic relationship between business and theology. The insights shared on this podcast will stir your faith and give you the push needed to realize new dimensions as either a current or emerging business leader. Like many of you, I'm called to the marketplace. The boardroom is my pulpit. Therefore, I invite you to travel along this learning odyssey with me. So buckle up. Let's go. Welcome to the latest edition of the Business Profit Podcast. Guys, I know it's been a while. Ah, man, it's been a while since we last connected. But I'm so glad to be back in front of this microphone today. It's been extremely busy on my end. A lot of things happening. Um, As many of you guys know, I am actually uh, working on my PhD. I'm actually getting coming around the corner, close to the end. I am getting ready to defend my my research proposal. Um, This is not the dissertation. This is the plan for what you're going to do in the dissertation. That should happen in August. And at the beginning of August, I will be doing my comprehensive exams. So I have less than less than a year. By March, I will be done, and I will be Dr. Curtis Merriweather. So I'm pretty excited about that. However, I'm glad that you guys took time out your busy schedules today to tune in. I have an interesting conversation for today. I need to be very honest. I kind of did not know where this podcast was going to go. So, you know, we, we launched, we rebranded it from the Business Theologist podcast to the Business Profit podcast. And I was really just trying to find out what it is that my audience wanted from me. But I've heard you guys, both um, active listeners to the podcast, as well as those who are fairly new to the podcast. And, you know, one of the things that I get asked all the time is about my investment philosophy, my investment thesis, whatever word you want to use. And what I'm discovering, what I have discovered is most people do not have the mentality of an investor. They don't. And this was surprising to me. Maybe it shouldn't have been, but it was. So today, I'm going to talk about developing an investor mindset. Uh, For those who know me, um, of course, I play in the government contracting space. Um, We own some real estate. We're in the process of raising a private equity fund approved by the SEC. I do some crypto. But one of the things I've been learning, uh, me and a, a friend created an investment team late last year. And the amount of stress that it created was, it wasn't worth. <laughs> it wasn't worth the, the incentives that we were getting from um, one of the companies that we were participating with. It just, it just wasn't. Now, we were making well over six figures um, doing that in addition to, you know, the other streams of revenue we have. But it became um, troublesome. It became burdensome. And we made a joint decision to not do this again. However, comma, uh, I was reached out to by various investors in that platform. And one of the things that they asked for was the education. Because I think we did a fairly decent job of educating the folks 
in the platform. But I didn't come on here to talk about the platform. I came on here to talk about what's needed to create an investor mindset. Because a lot of people are are amazed or interested or enthusiastic about the opportunity to create passive revenue streams, but really don't know how. And so my goal for doing this podcast is to A, hopefully give you at least a foundation of what you should be doing, what you should be thinking about as you make the transition from investor. Because here's something that is true. Profits are better than wages. Let me say that one more time. Profits are better than wages. Well, Kirk, why do you say that? Because see, your wages, your job can go away at any moment. You know, one of the things that we learned from the pandemic is that nothing is guaranteed in the labor markets. Uh, you know, folks were deemed non-essential workers. They were sent home. Some were furloughed. Some were paid. Many were not. Many lost their jobs. So what I like about profits, especially investment profits, typically they're not hedged to a job. Now, that that does not include my entrepreneurs, uh, but you know the goal of the entrepreneurship is to get to a point where that business no longer needs you. You have strong systems and processes in place that business can function without you. Now, we don't start there over uh, overnight. It takes time. But that business is an investment. And an investment that you're either uh, living, deriving some lifestyle from, we call it a lifestyle company, or something that you're, you know, you're growing either organically or inorganically, uh, meaning the growth is natural or it's forced. So we force growth through things like mergers and acquisitions and leverage buyouts and all these other things that they do in investment banking. Again, did not mean to go in a rabbit trail. But I want to talk about, and these are not in any particular order, but I want to talk about what it means to develop an investor mentality. Rule number one, and like again, these are not listed in any order of importance. These are things that I think you just need to know and understand if you're going to be a successful investor in any domain. I don't care if you're talking about real estate, stocks, bonds, whether you're a trader, whether you're a crypto guy doesn't matter to me. If you're a serial entrepreneur, these are the things that we need to be considering if we're going to be investors. And I hope we all realize that there needs to be some income stream coming in so that we can actually have money to invest. But I'll get to that in a little bit. Rule number one, rich don't work for money. Let me say this again. The rich do not work for money. Now, like you, many of us were told growing up, get good grades in school, um, go to college, get a nice, safe uh, job, whether it's government or military or whatever your thing is, and then retire. But the rules of finance changed in the 70s when we came off the gold standard. That's when our money stopped being money. We have a fiat currency. That may be a new term for some of you. A fiat currency means our money is not backed by anything other than the trust and goodwill of that government. Now, I happen to abide in the United States. Whether you abide in China or Nigeria or whatever country of origin you may be in or or residing in, because that doesn't mean that 
where you are is where you were born. But whatever country in which you reside in today, the currency of that country is based on the faith and credit and that government to cover their debts. A dollar in the U.S. is nothing more than an IOU, a promise to pay. That's all it is. It's a medium of exchange. And that medium of exchange is agreed upon. If you follow any kind of economic news or world news, you've seen countries go into default. Greece is a great example. Those folks went to sleep one day, they woke up, and their value and their currency was greatly devalued. We've seen this in the Great Depression. I remember seeing in high school pictures with people with uh, wheelbarrows full of their currency. The currency was worth nothing. It was better used as as kindling, as fire material to create bonfires. That's what he was using it for. So one of the things that I want to talk about is that the rich don't work for money. You know, money is an idea. Money has value because people deem that it has value. So first of all, I want you also to understand that um, happiness does not come from money. It, it, it does not. It does not. Uh, money can buy you a house, but it can't make you a home. Money can even buy you a friend for the evening or the weekend, but it will not give you true love. So money is a great servant and a horrible master. But many of us, no, not me, but many compromise their integrity for some money. It's not. It's not smart. It's not sustainable. So number one, the rich don't work for money. They don't. They do not work for money. One of the things I tell my children is let's pursue purpose. Let's pursue, let's pursue passion. What would you do if it did not require you to get paid? If I'm doing what it does not require me, if I'm willing to do uh, my passion and I get paid, I'm no longer working a job. I'm chasing passion. So number one, the rich don't work for money. And many, I hear many of the pundits say, well, if we don't work for money, then, you know, why do we go to college? Why do we get these jobs? Why do we pursue trades? Well, we have to live. But my point is, is when you're doing whatever it is you do to create a livelihood for you and your family and those that love and trust you, um, are you, are you fulfilled? Money does not bring fulfillment. It does not. Um, I remember. Many of you know my story. Um, this is my second marriage. My late spouse passed away in 2014. And I had achieved a lot of success based on many people's standards. However, that money did not keep my spouse here. We can get into a whole conversation about that. So money, uh, many people are, uh, we have improperly defined what riches and wealth are. See, many think that because you have one dimension of riches, which may be a certain amount of money in the bank or in several investment vehicles, they think that's wealth or riches. It is not. Um, it's, you, only, you may have one dimension of it. But if I have a bunch of money and I'm still sick in my body, that's not true prosperity. It's not, it's not real wealth. You know, there's a, there's a nice uh, cliche going around today that says uh, health is wealth. Well, that just shows there's no, there's more dimensions of prosperity or success 
than just the amount of money you have in the bank. You can have a bunch of money, but if your wife can't stand you, your kids can't stand you, you have no meaningful relationships, that is a poor person. So, number one, success is not just defined by how much money you have or don't have. I would posture to say that the the person who has you know, balance in their life, but their money may be lacking, has more wealth than the person who may have all of the money in the world. Because as we know, those money can only buy tangible things. It cannot buy intangibles. But I could spend a whole podcast just there. Let's move forward. So number one, the rich do not work for for money. Number two, I kind of talked about this already. Um, I prefer profits over wages. See, wages, I'm trading time for money, typically. So if I work hour, eight hours, I get a certain amount of money from that work. Let's just, just for simple math, if you make $100 an hour and you work eight hours a day, that's $800. If you work five days in a week, that's $4,000. My wages are limited based on how many hours I work. So there is a one-to-one exchange of time versus money. Profits, especially if I get into a situation where where I have investments working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I have unlimited earning potential. Unlimited earning potential. And one plus one no longer equals two. I can now go into some type of quantum, quantum mechanics from an investment standpoint where one can give me 10 because I can have a bunch of different vehicles working, giving me different rates of return and profits, quite frankly, over time. Cause your, your investment vehicles may not outpace your job right away, but we'll talk about why time is important here in a little bit. So number two, I prefer profits over wages. Number three, talking about developing an investor mindset. Number one, we talked about the rich do not work for money. Number two, we prefer profits over wages. Number three, assets versus liabilities. Now, let me back up because I'm going to say something here that's going to be very controversial, but I want to set it up first before I say it. An asset puts money in my pocket. A liability takes money out of my pocket. For my finance majors, we got what we call a balance sheet. There's an asset, there's your assets. That may be, you know, things like uh, cash in the bank. That may be different type of investment vehicles. Um, your real estate, the actual, uh, say it's paid for, that real estate would be an asset. Now, what would be some of my liabilities? That's going to be my, my short-term, long-term debt. That's a liability. Takes money out of my pocket. Now, I recognize those liabilities could be used to fund those assets but we say this an asset needs to be revenue generating meaning the lot the underlying liability that pays for the asset the asset needs to still be cash positive so for example i have a house um in this fictitious example you got a house or rental property that rental property you have a loan or the rental property let's just say the house gives you rent of a thousand dollars okay and our fictitious example you got $1,000 a month in rent coming in. The house is occupied. The loan 
on that mortgage property. Let's just say, you know, you, you haven't refinanced it. You got unfavorable long term for whatever reason. And the loan on the property is $1,200. So the house rents for 1000 The loan on the property is 1200 And the loan includes principal interest. Uh, they're paying uh, taxes on the property for you as well as the insurance premium. So all in there, you got $1,200 of, of uh, going out. So you have a negative $200 in our fictitious example. You have a liability. That rental property is not cash flowing. Right now, that quote-unquote real estate property is a liability in my mind because it's costing me more money to maintain the asset. Same example. Got a $1,000 property, okay? The mortgage on the property is $800 all in. Interest, principal, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fixed 30-year amortized loan. I have a $200 profit every month that same real estate property property is now an asset now i use this example because it's important that we understand that assets can flip in one moment it can be an asset and then for a space and time that same asset may be a liability the assets have the ability to fluctuate now with our example we just gave your home that you live in it's not an asset the banks lied to you. The banks told you it was an asset because they needed to sell those financial products. Now, I know this is very controversial. They need to sell those financial products. The, uh, the home that you live in that has a mortgage on it is an asset to the bank. It's their asset, not yours. It's a liability. It is a liability. If you have a fully um, a home that is that you bought a mortgage for, and it's one hundred percent. You didn't put any down payment. You don't have any equity. There's even no. There's no even no equity on the property. We all know from our finance classes, if you got an accounting background, that we look at equity. Equity is the difference between the asset and the underlying liability or loan against that property. That's what gives us equity. As we pay that loan down over time, we build equity. But I didn't come on here to talk about real estate fundamentals. Number four, this is a extremely important one. Do not invest any money you cannot afford to lose. One more time. Do not invest any money you cannot afford to lose. The money that I want to see um, retail investors, investors who may not have a whole lot of working capital to start with, I want to see you spend your money that you normally would have gave to Starbucks. Instead of buying those high-end shoes, take that money and invest it. Do not take your car note, your mortgage, <laughs> any, um, your life insurance, Proceeds don't take any of that money to invest it. You know, I teach my kids we save 
to invest. Save money, save a, per, a certain percent of money to invest to give me a higher rate of return. Now, I talk about do not invest any money you cannot afford to lose. In any investment, there's a degree of risk. Even with that certificate of deposit at your bank. Now, I recognize that that risk may be low, but there's still risk in every investment vehicle. Banks quite a business. It happens. Doesn't happen every day, but it does happen. There's a degree of risk. There's a degree of risk in the bonds. Now, the risk is low, but that's why they give you a very low interest rate because the interest rate or the return is based on the amount, the risk profile. As the interest rate or the profit potential increases, so does the amount of inherent risk. Lower risk opportunities have lower return, lower interest rates that we receive in return for that exchange of money. Do not invest any money you cannot afford to lose. Instead, redirect some of that frivolous or unnecessary spending to, to investments that you understand. So number one, do not invest any money you can't afford to lose. That's number four. And I'm, I'm going to say 4B, um, don't invest in anything you don't understand. Let me say this again. I have a lot of investors that I have met over the years who invest in things, they have no idea how it works. Now, the new craze, of course, today is cryptocurrency. I do invest in cryptocurrency, and I like the asset class a lot. However, if you don't know anything about crypto, the very first thing I would recommend you do, I don't care what the returns are, I don't care what Bloomberg or whatever your favorite finance show or website says, Zero Hedge, Google Finance, Yahoo Finance, whatever, I don't care what all the pundits are saying. What I'm concerned about is you understanding the investment. When you understand the investment, you're going to be better able to ride the ebbs and flow of the investment. Do not, I repeat, do not put your trust and confidence in anyone to manage your money. For you Now, I'm not telling you not to have money, um, money managers and all that good stuff. I'm not telling you not to have financial planners. What I am saying is you need to make it your business to understand your finances, to obtain the financial intelligence. So you, if you decide to hire those people, that you can collaborate with them and partner with them. Now, I'm not even going to tell you my opinion on mutual funds and things like that because that's not the purpose here. The purpose here is for you to understand what's happening with your money. If you buy a stock, please understand something about that stock. Do you understand the value of the stock? Do you understand why it's trading at $20 a share, $4 a share? What's a good buy price? What's a good sale price? Do you understand? So I'm a big believer in education. As many of you know, I am working on a PhD. I did not do the PhD to get a promotion on my job. I work for myself. Um, I invest. So this had nothing to do with trying to 
position myself to climb the corporate ladder, as they say. I'm just a fiend for knowledge. I love learning. So that's why I did it. So education, whether that's formal or informal, I'm not telling you you need to go get a master's in finance or a bachelor's in finance. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is there are a whole bunch of ways to almost today free or close to free to get an education. Now, you do have to have enough savvy to understand what's good information and what's not. I'm not going to get into that today because there's a lot of good information. There's a lot of bad information. So if you do have folks who have some savvy in those areas, ask them where they got their education from, what websites, um, books, mentors, coaches, YouTube, Investopedia. Um, there are some great resources. But before you invest your money, there are some things you need to be concerned about as an investor. How do you enter the asset, whether it's crypto, whether it's a private equity fund for real estate, whether it's a stock, whether it's a trade, whether it's a hedge fund, how do I get in the entry and how do I get out the exit? Now, based on the type of asset you may be investing, there may be something called a lockup period, meaning we're in the process of raising a real estate fund. Um, which is going to give our investors a great return on their investments. And we're going to use that real estate fund to buy commercial property. So when I say commercial, I'm talking about multifamily. You would call them apartments, um, strip malls, retail spaces, uh, hotels. That's what our fund will be used for. You'll hear more about that later. But you have to also understand the uh, payback period. If you're investing a certain amount of money and there's no dividend, how long was your money going to be out there before you a, recoup your principal and get a dividend. And what? And it may be some different permutation of that. You may be getting dividends and at a later point get, a, get your payback. Um, is it equity or is it a debt position? These are things you need to understand. Um, understand what a reasonable rate of return looks like so you don't get caught with these, these fallacies for what your rate of return is going to be. I'm going to put a thousand dollars in. I'm going to get this obscene return back in two weeks. And I've heard this. I heard someone tell me that uh, they, they invested $200 and they were expecting this 10,000% rate of return in a couple weeks. That's just, that's unfounded. So make sure that we understand the investment vehicles we are investing in. And based on the investment vehicle and based on the amount of risk, you will see varying rates of return. So you need to understand what's reasonable and what's not reasonable based on that investment vehicle. You know, I'm the son of a pastor, as many of you guys know, and hence the name of my podcast, because that kind of shows my roots back. There's uh, two things I'm very passionate about, which is my relationship with Jesus Christ. And I love all things business and investment. But I have to give you guys a scripture just briefly. Proverbs 19 and 2. And I'm reading this from the New Living the, the New Living Translation, the NLT, it says enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Haste makes mistakes. One more time. Enthusiasm, this, you know, glee, this excitement, this, uh, this drive, this ambition to do something. This is the Kirk paraphrase now. The enthusiasm, the drive, the ambition, the zeal to invest without knowledge is not good. I'm going to say it this way. It's not wise. It says haste makes mistakes. Now, that's just, this is the Kurt paraphrase. I read you the original 
in the New Living Tr- Translation, enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Haste makes mistakes. Now I got to give you the Kurt paraphrase. Investment enthusiasm, investment zeal with no knowledge is not wise. It's quite unsmart. Haste makes waste. So you find these people who are so in it, so eager to just get involved because they think that they're going to miss their boat. And then those are the folks who cause the investors, who cause the, we call them general partners, who calls the hedge fund manager, whatever it depends on the type of vehicle you invest in. They're the ones who cause the most grief. And one of the things that I have learned over time is the folks who invest the least are the ones that's going to give you the biggest headache. <laughs> I said it. The people who put the least amount of money in are going to be the ones that are going to drive you up the wall. It's the folks who normally have more money, not always, who have who who've probably invested before, who probably understands how money work works. Those are the folks who give me the least problems. But the folks who do not understand how money works, the folks who have not invested before, the folks who have not created gotten any financial education or literacy, those are the ones who literally will wear you out. They don't understand. Their their expectations are often unlofty. So I'm telling you this so you don't be that person. The folks who come to the table with more money, typically, not always, typically have the most investment education. They have invested in understanding how money works. They've, they were very meticulous before they just threw money toward an investment. They probably asked a lot of questions. They probably did some due diligence and some research. It's the folks who are so eager to get in that make me nervous. And when things happen, because things will inevitably happen in any investment, I don't care what it is. If you're investing in lemonade stands, sometimes the sales may not go the way that you thought they were going to go, and we may have lost money that day. doesn't matter. Every investment has a certain degree of inherent risk. And the, and the investments with more risk have an investment premium, thereby more profit potential. So understand what you're invested in. I think that was number four for us. Number five, there's this thing called time. And there's the time value of money. If you've, any of my finance folks and my accountants, you've probably seen an NPV calculation at present value where you can look at how much money a dollar's worth, well, $1,000 is worth today versus next year versus the year after. So you can get an idea of what is the premium or lack thereof of that money. So understanding, and now if we're looking around in the news, we see inflation is at an all-time high, how is that affecting your investment? Are you outpacing the price of of inflation? Because if your money's in a banking account, I can promise you you're losing money every day. And that dollar you had last year is not worth the dollar of the day. It's worth less because the price of that asset, that dollar, has went down because of inflation. And I know you're hearing all these things in the news about the, the, the war and all these things that are causing inflation. The, prime, the primary driver of inflation is excessive money printing. Excessive money printing. So at the beginning of this podcast, I talked about how we came off the gold standard in 71 under Nixon. Well, the reason why it's so critical is because we could only print money based on how much money was in the gold reserves. 
So we could not just print money willy-nilly. We came off the gold standard. There was no threshold which limited our ability to print resources, which is why now we can just literally create money out of thin air. You know, the Federal Reserve, which isn't federal at all, it's a it's a cabal, a conglomerate of large banks. Um, that's what makes up the Federal Reserve and the whole central um, central banking system. But that's a conversation for a different day. Um, that's why they can literally print money out of thin air and supply and demand. Let's go back to high school economics. When my supply is higher, the price drops. When um, supply is lower, demand increases and price rises. So if we look at how many dollars are in circulation, supplies at an all-time high, it only makes economical sense that the value decreases. This is basic econ. Basic econ. Okay. Number six, compounding. What do you mean by compounding? I'm talking about this week over week, month over month, year over year, increase in money. I remember being a kid and people would say, would you want, you know, would you take a penny doubling every day and it would give you an alternative or a million dollars? And people say, I take the million dollars. But did not understand the power of compounding. That penny compounded every day. In a period of time, you had way more money than the million dollars being offered because that, that's the power of compounding. I'm taking a certain amount, I'm growing it, and I'm growing it, and I'm growing it, and I'm growing it. So the principle is ever increasing and whatever rate of return, 10%, 5%, 3%, whatever it is, that rate of return continues to snowball and outpaces. So in the, in the penny example, if I'm going to give you $100 million today versus I let this penny just keep doubling, that one penny turns into two pennies, two turns into four, four go. And, you know, the, the list goes over and over. You got, you know, trillions of dollars in some um, very short time period relatively speaking. So it was, do I take the, the huge amount of lump sum today or do I let, do I let time and the compounding effect, in this case, the penny doubling and the money doubling every day, or do I let the compounding effect um, take precedent? Well, the compounding effect will over time dwarf the hundred million million whatever number you want to use that they're going to give you today but you got to be willing to put the time in and this is what i tell people it's not about how much money you start with it's about the time you put in the investment you know there's one investment that that i'm in a nine dollar investment at compounded at 3.3 percent per day is a million dollars in 12 months this is a arbitrage strategy very popular a lot of people don't know it um but i mean there's not there's not a shortage of ways to make money is what i'm saying oftentimes we lack the um the education the know-how um to get involved in these very safe investments and i don't know anyone i don't know many people in the united states other countries where the currencies are different may be a different story. But in the United States, especially if you're listening to my podcast, most of you have $9. But most of you don't know where to put the $9 and just let it wait. Do a couple of things we have to do that we teach to wait. And again, I'm not here trying to push any platform, anything like that, or any of that. 
what my whole purpose in bringing that example up is there's not a shortage of ways to make money. But you have to get a financial education. And you have to be willing to make those investments in you. Okay. Last but not least, number seven. I talked about this. I touched on it briefly earlier. Things are going to happen. You know, most investments, they have a, you know, especially you start talking about some of your major investments. There's normally a risk management team. There would not be a risk management team if there wasn't a degree of risk. So no matter what the investment is, there's always the potential that things are not going to go as planned. You know, I'm in the crypto space right now, um, investing, and there's a series of hacks that have occurred in the past year or two. You know, the blockchain is very secure, but sometimes the platforms have security inadequacies. And as a result, you know, nefarious actors, (laughs) those who seek to get a gain or a profit from defrauding others, uh, attack those platforms. And so, again, going back to one of my previous rules, never invest any money that you can't afford to lose. You know, I get a lot of folks who want to be investors but don't understand the mindset of an investor. An investor invests their money and forgets about it. I'm not saying forget about it in a negligent way, but that money is no longer available for investing. But, you know, when things happen, you know, money may be locked up for longer than anticipated. You know, programs may change. Um, The investor may decide to go a different direction. But when you are an LP, a limited partner, and you have entrusted your money with this GP or this platform or whatever different investment vehicle you may be operating with, you have to make an educated choice. And at any moment, an investment can go away. That's why we get the rates of return that we get. So never invest any money. You can't afford to lose. Never, never, ever, ever don't pay your, don't be using your rent or your mortgage payments or your car notes or any of these things that I know sound crazy, but you have to tell investors, especially new ones who are are maybe the first time taking on some of these investments, you have to say these things. You know, I don't care if you got $100 to invest. Invest $100. Now, hopefully the goal is over time you can get to a point where you can invest more than $100. And hopefully that $100 is not causing a, a, a cramp in your style. Um, ho- hopefully that $100 is not offsetting anything major in your life. And then once you invest it, once you've done the education necessary to be comfortable with the investment that you're made, then you, we have to, you know, depending on the vehicle, and based on the vehicle you're, op- you're, you're, uh, you're, you're purchasing, there may be varying levels of, of uh, things you may need to do to manage that investment. Of course, managing a corporate investment, you know, you start a business, it's different than putting your money in the stock market. But even still, regardless of the uh, investment vehicle, there are some things that we need to do to properly hedge risk. That's what we need to do. And if you're not doing that, someone needs to be doing that to make sure that the investment um, gives you uh, future rate of return, but not all investment produces rates of return. That's that's why it's investing. That's why 
uh, certain bodies like the SEC put out guidelines for accredited versus unaccredited investors. An accredited investor based on the SEC guideline is you got a million dollars in net worth and you and a spouse, if you're married, make 300000 collectively. If you're single, you make 200000 But that net worth is a million dollars. The SEC and the financial regulators of this country, I'm talking about the United States, believe that if you've got net level of income coming in, and you've been able to amass that much of wealth that you may have an idea. That's not, that's not always true, by the way. But you're in a better position to have an idea of how money works. And you can shoulder a major loss. Okay? That's why they do this. But you know, the one thing that is not taught in high school, or in college for that matter, is... Investment management, unless you're a finance major or something like that, maybe an MBA program, depending on what kind of program it is. But most folks in our go to work. We have mastered the art of getting up, going to work, and punching the clock from nine to five. Or you may be an employer, an employee. You may be a you may be an employer, so you may be a job creator. So you've mastered the art of creating an oppor- an opportunity for folks to to provide some product or service to the market in exchange for a wage. But most, most folks do not understand investing, which is why they put their money in 401ks, which do not guarantee you a real rate of return. You've seen some, uh, a lot of the 401ks are in the market or in a private equity fund, unbeknownst to, <laughs> to, to the employee. Uh, mutual fund, same thing. Um, maybe in a hedge fund somewhere it's being managed, maybe managed by the actual fund itself. Uh, but you got other people um, that you have entrusted unknowingly uh, or knowingly that you have entrusted to manage your money for you. And there's no guarantee that those assets that you have given them some limited power of authority to manage on your behalf, there's no guarantee they're going to give you a return. So hopefully, if nothing else, this conversation made you think about some things you didn't think about. But I'm going to recap them real quick. Number one, rich do not work for money. Number two, prefer profits over wages. Number three, recognize the difference between an asset and a liability. Number four, do not invest in anything you do not understand. Number five, understand the time value of money. Number six, leverage the power of compounding when you can. And then number seven, understand that things will, not if, things will happen. Whoa, hey, thanks, guys. It's been about 42 minutes. I thank you guys for tuning in today. Uh, I want you guys to have a great week. And I want you guys to definitely Go in and start finding out what different assets you want to invest in and start getting an education. You know, I gave you the scripture about enthusiasm without, basically without knowledge is, uh, is setting you up for a recipe of disaster because haste uh, creates waste. And we want to make sure you're not in that position. I find a lot of overzealous people wanting to, you know, have an opportunity to change their lifestyle, uh, but just not quite informed and educated enough yet. So I'm telling you to take action. Um, 
find yourself some resources that are going to help you to better understand the investment vehicles that uh, you want to invest in and spend some time in that education. The number one investment, and Warren Buffett says this, the best investment you can make is in you. I didn't say in crypto. I didn't say in real estate, private equity, hedge fund, quant fund. I didn't say any of those things. Mutual fund, 401k. The best investment you can make in you. You know, again, I'm, you know, I'm a son of a pastor guy, so I, I grew up in church. So the, the, one of my favorite scriptures is 3 John 2. We prosper in accordance with our soul prospering. It didn't say God prospered us. I'm not saying that God is not the author of prosperity. I'm not saying that. But that scripture says that we prosper in accordance with our soul. What is our soul? Our mind, our will, our imaginations, our emotions, and our intellect. That's the, that's the mind or the soul. That's the mind. The mind, my intellectual capacity, my, my, my will, my imaginations, my emotions, my intellect. That is my mind. We prosper in accordance with our mind or our soul prospering. So that says that I have some responsibility in this equation. I do. Many Christians have, have abdicated their responsibility and made it the responsibility of God or someone else to cause wealth and resources to come into their lives. But when I read that scripture, it says the responsibility is on me. I prosper in accordance with my soul prospering. So the responsibility is yours. It's not mine. It's not anyone else's. The responsibility to get the education, the understanding, and the know-how to successfully deploy your capital is your responsibility. And do not give it away lightly. But that's all I got for you guys. It has been a great conversation. I hope you took something away from this. It was beneficial for me. This was very therapeutic for me to get back on the microphone because I have not been on this mic in quite some time. And I hope this conversation was impactful. Uh, we're going into uh, holiday weekend. It is Memorial Day in the United States. So I want you guys to have a safe, um, enjoyable, and happy Memorial Day as we remember those who gave their lives for our benefit and for our prosperity in, the, in these United States of America. Until next time, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Business Profit Podcast. Please share, subscribe, rate, and leave a comment so others like you can find this podcast too. If you would like to connect with me, please use the links in the show notes to connect with me on all social media platforms. I welcome the opportunity to hear from you. Have a blessed week. Until next time.